Now, in the bulletin this morning, there was a little outline that'll sort of, if you're someone who wants to sort of see where we headed or keep track, that'll give you a bit of a clue where we are. If you have your Bibles, please do have them open to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Join with me as I pray. Heavenly Father, we open your scriptures now knowing and acknowledging that all scripture is God-breathed. And so, Lord, we pray that your spirit would lay hold of these words. Lord, that you would teach us. Lord, show us things that we might not have known before. Lord, correct us if we're going astray. Rebuke us if we're unrepentant. Lord, that you may train us up to be a church that walks in righteousness. So, Father, we need your help. And so, Lord, please go before us now. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you know the book of Joshua, you come to the end of the book, and there's a famous, you can use that term, a famous saying that Joshua says. He says, But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. If Joshua is going to lead his family in the things of the Lord, he's going to be, have to be determined to do it. It'll be a decision he makes. It'll take effort. It'll be a responsibility. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. As we go through 1 Timothy, we see that God says the church is gathering here as the household of God. And we have the letter of 1 Timothy that we might know how we as the household of God might serve the Lord. And so we as a household need to be decided in ourselves, just as much as you would in your own home, just as much as a father will say before God, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We as a church need to be clear, is that our desire as his household, as for us as the household of God, we will serve the Lord because if we are not intentional, it won't just happen. Just as much as a father can be slack in his home, so if we are not careful in the church, we can start to drift and lose the way and find ourselves being a household that doesn't actually serve the Lord. And that is one of the gifts to us we have here, this letter to 1 Timothy, because as we read it and understand it, God is giving us the instructions we need so as to know how to conduct ourselves as the household of God. So as others look on, they can say, there are the people of God, they serve him. And that is what it looks like. And so in the section that we have, we're coming to the end of chapter 1. Paul gives Timothy the charge again. And a number of times he said, I charge you, I charge you, or I command you. This is something you must obey. And so three things this morning. We're going to see what it would mean for Timothy to keep the charge, what it would be looked like to reject the charge, and what that charge means for us today in Chapel Street. And so in verse 18, if you've got your Bibles, Paul says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy. The charge is an important thing. What is that charge? We don't have to move on and read guessing or wondering. We've just got to look at what was said prior. Because Paul has already made it clear what he has charged Timothy to do. In verse 3, he charges Timothy to make sure certain persons do not teach any different doctrine. 
In verse 4, he charges Timothy to make sure certain persons do not devote themselves to speculative theologies. In verse 3, he charges Timothy, reminding him that the only sound doctrine is the doctrine that he received from Paul and learnt from Paul, for that comes from Christ. Anything that is different to what we read in the Bible, anything different to what we learn from the apostles, is not sound doctrine. Verse 4 again, he charges Timothy, reminding him that the true doctrine, sound doctrine, is God's teaching for us. And verse 4 again, Timothy is charged with keeping and teaching the sound doctrine or the teaching because that is how God instructs his household, stewardship. That is what the word is, stewardship of the household of God. That is the good work. And Paul in verse, Timothy is charged in verse 5 of making sure that the teaching of sound doctrine produces the fruit of love in the church. That we're not just a church of all talk or we just come and hear things and leave. And that'll only happen as he sticks to sound doctrine. In verse 8, he charges him to make sure he uses the law rightly. Which essentially is allowing the law to expose sin. Verses 10 and 11, the charge is given that if someone is living in accordance with the gospel, which is in line with sound doctrine, they will not be living lawless lives. And Paul charges Timothy, as he has left Timothy in the church at Ephesus, do this. I command you, do these things. Because that command comes from God himself. So it's important that we don't rush on from chapter 1. It's foundational to the rest. As soon as we hit chapter 2, we're going to be given very specific things of what God wants us to do. And that's where probably many of us are itching to get to. But if we skip over chapter 1, we will not be ready to receive the instructions from chapter 2 onwards. Chapter 1, as we consider, as we meditate on the charge that is given to Timothy... We will start to think rightly and prepare our hearts. Otherwise, if we just jump in at chapter 2, we might not receive the instructions with the right habit, with the right attitude. We may be tempted to push back at them. We probably will be. But we'll be doing it from the wrong place, pushing back at the commands. We may be tempted to say that the things we go on to read don't really apply to us. That was just for them and their day. We may be tempted to say, oh, that's just what Paul taught. We won't receive them as the instructions from God himself through his son by his apostle. And so chapter 1 is important that we lay hold of and it will also mean if we skip over chapter 1 without thinking it through, when opposition comes to what is sound doctrine, when opposition comes to the things that we will start seeing how God wants us to conduct ourselves, we won't readily stand firm in them. Because we won't be considering them as seriously as we should, as solemn directives from God himself. So chapter 1 is shaping the way we think and shaping our hearts so as to receive the instructions. And when our little voice on our left shoulder or the little things rise up in our hearts, we've got to go back to chapter 1. What what have we been told? No, this is from God. Anything different is no good. This is what pleases God. Lord, help me to start thinking rightly and not worldly about the things you were saying. 
These instructions, verse 17, come from the King of Kings, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. We've got to have that before us as we move forward in this letter. Because there are things that are different to what our culture would want us to do. But we've got, no, this is from the King of Kings, immortal and invisible. I need to listen. And Paul, having given this charge, he entrusts it, verse 18 says, to Timothy. That's very serious, to be entrusted. That means you're the person responsible to make sure it stays intact. Have you ever had that responsibility where someone goes away and they leave something with you to look after? Often you end up looking after it better than the things yourselves, that you own yourself. Because you know you've got to hand it back. Timothy has been entrusted with making sure the teachings of Paul, the teachings of God himself, stay intact in the church in Ephesus. That's a big responsibility because Timothy is going to be accountable to God one day for how he looked after that, how he carried out that role. Have you ever had something precious in your hand and you're looking around trying to put it down because you're getting nervous? It's a bit like that with, Tim, with Timothy. He has been given the precious gospel of God entrusted to him in the life of that church. And you might say, I want that responsibility. But when you start reading the context and we see that a fight's on its way, do you really want to be the person who has to stand up in the church and hold on to that? Because Timothy is the one who's going to be opposed. He's the one people are going to push back against when he's saying, no, this is what we must do as a church. Timothy is the one that people are going to start disliking because he's saying, no, we can't budge from what God's word says. Timothy is the one who has to take, get up for the fight. He can't stay down in the bunkers. He has to climb the ladder and go forward. Maybe he was saying, Lord, could I give this responsibility to someone else? But no. Timothy is to be faithful in this task. This charge I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, fight the good fight. If Timothy's going to hold on to this, if Timothy is going to be faithful to be entrusting, entrusted with the things of God, he's got a fight coming. A fight, a warfare. Jesus said that be ready, because false teaching will arise in the church. Be ready. False teachers will come from within. The real danger to the church is not out there. It's what slithers in and what comes into the church. And the Bible says to us, it's not just the teaching that people are going to oppose. It's really going to be, the pushback will really come when you say, I want to live it out. And I'm going to put it into practice. You can, people will typically be fine if you talk about the things of God as much as you want to in the church. But when you start acting them out in the church, there'll be people who say, no, we can't do that. We don't want to do that. How dare you say we do that? And so there is a fight. And how is Timothy to fight? In accordance with the prophecies previously made about him. That is how he's to wage the warfare. If you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to bring your Bibles. Turn forward to 1 Timothy 4. We're going to look at three other sections in the 
1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And as we put these together, we'll understand what this instruction is. So 1 Timothy 4, 13 to 16. Paul writes to Timothy. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Turn forward to 2 Timothy. To Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. Paul writes to Timothy, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and self-control. And in 2 Timothy, turn to chapter 4. It's the last one. Verses 1 and 2. I charge you, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. If we put those four sections together, we get an idea of what Paul's injunction to Timothy is, of how he's to fight the good fight. Firstly, God gave Timothy a gift. That gift was given to him when the elders in the church laid their hands upon him. And Timothy is told not to neglect this gift. And as Paul exhorts him in this, he says, you've got to keep to reading the scriptures publicly. You've got to keep to preaching, reproving, rebuking, exhorting and teaching. You're not to neglect your gift. You're to devote yourself to it. You're to practice it. You're to fan it into flame. And so piecing those things together would seem clear that the gift that Timothy has been given by God is the gift to teach and to preach. When God set him apart in this role that he has in the church of leading the fight, God has equipped him to preach and to teach. But that gift just didn't come with no one knowing. Because the other thing that happened when God gave Timothy the gift was a word of prophecy. Someone at that commissioning and the laying of her hands was given a word from God, made it clear to the people that the gift that Timothy is receiving is for the preaching and teaching, for the defending of the truth and the life of the church. And so back in verse 18, Paul says to Timothy, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, whereby you received that gift of teaching, where words were spoken over you of this gift that you have received, wage the good fight. So Timothy isn't just to fight in any way he wants. God has equipped him with a particular gift so as to fight, and it is the gift of teaching. The way Timothy opposes the corruption that would creep into the life of the church is to open up the word of God fearlessly and to say this is what God says and then to exhort people in it to challenge people, to teach them, to say stop, to say this is what we need to do. Or when false teaching comes, says yes, that's what they're saying, but open the scriptures, this is what God says. And so the great fight that Timothy is to lead the way in, in his role, is through teaching and preaching. 
through giving instruction in the life of the church and not being silenced, but to use the word of God to silence that which is false. That's a big task. We already see from 1 Timothy that there are, well, we'll hear about Hymenaeus and Alexander shortly, but there are already people in the church teaching things. Timothy is being sent to come into the church and say, stop. The fight's already on. And he's got to go and take the word of God to it. And that teaching, preaching is still the primary method that God has given to his church for the maintaining of sound doctrine and the confronting of error. Teaching or preaching isn't very liked often these days. We like to share things. We like to come together. You share what your thoughts are. You share what your thoughts are. And we just share. We like a Facebook faith. But the Lord says to Timothy, no. Take my word into the church and you let the people know there is truth. You let them know this is the right way to think about God. Love them by telling them this is the way to live that pleases me and this is the way of living that doesn't please me. And that's what Timothy has to do. The good fight that he's in is about opposing evil and it's the good fight because it's about holiness. It's about the things of God. It's about doing what is right in the eyes of God, not doing what's right in my own eyes. It's preaching that pleases Jesus. About silencing and trying to get rid of the evil, the sin, the yeast and the life of the church. It's the good fight. It's God's fight. And he has equipped Timothy for it. Paul is charging him to be faithful in it. And that's what he's got to get on and do in the church in Ephesus. And he's to do it, we see, holding on, holding faith and a good conscience. Faith is in the truth. Faith is in the word of God. If, someone, if, the, if the truth of God leaves us, our faith becomes pointless. Faith that matters is faith that is in truth. And the only way Timothy is going to be able to keep faithful in his ministry is to make sure he is holding on to the truth himself. If he starts picking and choosing, he will not be faithful in being the teacher. If he starts saying, I don't like these things of God, or I'm afraid of what the people are going to say, so I'm not going to say those things, his faith is compromised. He has to stand firm upon the word of God. And that's the only way he'll have a good conscience. Because once you start shifting from Christ, you have no peace for your conscience if you think. And if your conscience is at peace, there is peace when there is no peace. He needs to stand firm in the things of God. And so there are two things I was going to say for the children this morning. I've touched base with some of them. Anyone under 18? If after this service you can tell me, firstly, what it means for Timothy to be a soldier, come and let me know. And the second thing is, which we'll get to shortly, what it means for Timothy to help people not shipwreck their faith. So the picture of a soldier, picture of a shipwreck. And so we've considered Timothy as a soldier. He's going to stand up. He's the one who's going to climb out of the trenches. He's the one who's going to preach the truth and silence what is evil in the life of the church. But what would it look like if Timothy was to reject the church? What will it look like for us if we reject this charge? Verse 19. 
By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Shipwreck their faith. It's a graphic picture. Use your imagination. A ship sailing along, then it hits the rocks. And the ship is destroyed. It shatters, it breaks, it creaks, it groans. Boards come flying off and down she goes. These men, because they have rejected the charge that is given to Timothy... The charge of holding fast to sound doctrine, not shifting from it, have shipwrecked their faith. Hearing, believing and obeying all that Paul is teaching us in 1 Timothy is essential if we're going to stay on course. If we're going to be able to sail all the way home to safety, if we're going to find glory's harbour, we have to hold fast to the teaching. But as soon as we shift from those things, we will go off course and we will hit the rocks. And we won't make it to glory's harbour. It doesn't matter how big your faith is. If you shift to false doctrine or something that is not taught in the Bible, say, I'm not going to believe that, it doesn't matter how big your faith is. If the chart says don't go that way, it doesn't matter how confident the captain is that the rocks are there, they're not going to disappear. doesn't matter how much you say, I'm going to ignore the word of God. How bold you are in your sailing, you will sink. It's not the size of your faith in the end, it's where your faith is directed. And Hymenaeus and Alexander, their ship is going down. How's your ship sailing? Are you on course? We often think God will just, tol- God thinks like us, that's what we often do. God will just tolerate different points of view. God's happy if we all just hold on to the things that we want to hold on to. But if we're all sailing in different directions, we can guarantee we're not going to end up in the same place. And God is concerned for his church. He's saying, Paul is saying to Timothy, love the people, love them, that they may all be on the right course, the same course. And so this example of Hymenaeus and Alexander, they're teachers, two men that were involved in teaching in the church, but they decided they weren't going to stick to the things that Christ had entrusted to Paul. If you've got your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul says this, But avoid irreverent babble. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. So we only hear about Alexander in that verse, but Hymenaeus we hear about twice. They are teachers who have gone off course, and it's dangerous because their teaching endangers the household. Their teaching starts to become confusing to people. Their teaching starts getting people to wonder, am I on course? And if other people take to their teaching, it's going to cause them to be shipwrecked in their faith as well. 
Gangrene's a horrible thing. It's an ugly thing. And gangrene spreads. Have you ever seen the movies where someone gets gangrene? They've got to cut it out. If you don't cut off where it is, it'll just spread. And in the end, it's a rotten, deadly thing that will kill. And so these men, they're teaching that the danger of being deadly to the soul like gangrene is to the flesh. And it needed to be dealt with. How are we going to be checking what's happening? How are we going to check that what Hymenaeus is teaching or what Paul is teaching? I encourage us, bring your Bible to church. Know your Bible. As you turn the pages, as you read and check, you'll become more familiar with it. And you'll remember, oh, I remember that place, even if you can't remember the reference. Engage with your Bible. Journey with it. Be like the Bereans. Because you've got to keep checking that your ship is on course. So you've got to keep opening your Bible and checking what's the navigation looking like. And one of the reasons, well, the, the reason false teaching and ungodly teaching is so bad is because the fruit of it is blasphemy. The fruit of false teaching is blasphemy. Hymenaeus and Alexander, who have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Blasphemy is more than just using God's name like a swear word. That's often our first port of call when we think of blasphemy. I've just used God's name like a swear word. No, it's far greater than that. When you meditate on the Ten Commandments, it's probably the one in reality that you break the most. When it's the one at first thought, you probably think you break the least. Blasphemy is a grave sin. The Third Commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Taking the name of the Lord in vain is to bear the name of God or to lay hold of the name of God and to treat it as worthless. To not uphold the name of God as it should be held. Not giving God the honour that is due to Him. Every time you break the third commandment, though you say, hallowed be your name, you do the opposite. You blaspheme through every thought, word or action that brings down the name of God. In Romans 2, Paul confronts the Jews and saying they are blasphemers because they claim to know God, they claim to be his people, and yet they seal that they steal, they commit adultery, they speak godless things, they live ungodly lives. They are blasphemers. Should the Alexander and Hymenaeus are saying we're Christians, and yet they're teaching things that is blasphemy but their very lives is blasphemy because teaching brings forth ungodly fruit. And the danger is, if it is not addressed, another person will lay hold of that false teaching and start living a life of blasphemy. And if it stays unchecked, if Timothy runs away from the church in Ephesus, the danger is the whole church can become a gathering of blasphemers. That's tragic. And so that's why it's taken so seriously that Paul says, I've handed over to Satan those two men. That sounds serious up front. Being handed over to Satan. 
False teaching is that dangerous. What does it mean? Essentially, in the good fight, there are only two sides. You're either on the Lord's side or on the devil's side. For him to say, I'm handing them over to Satan, they are currently saying, we're on the Lord's side, we belong to his side, but the way they're living, they're actually fighting for the Satan. So Paul's saying, I'm going to lift you out of the church, I'm going to put you over there to be with the side that your lives actually show that you're aligned with. To be handed over to Satan is to say, we're going to put you out of the church. These are men who are living in unrepentant sin. They're saying, no, we won't change. We will all sin, we will all struggle. But those who are unrepentant, Paul is saying serious things need to be done, lest firstly, they think everything's all right between them and God. Or secondly, other people in the church think it's okay to believe that or live like that and everything's okay with God. And thirdly, lest other people start doing that too and think it's okay with God. But Paul warns the church in Ephesus, do not live like this, for those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. One of the great cries of the prophets, false prophets, were saying there is peace with God when there is no peace. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, he's going to have to do this too. If there's anyone living in the church in ungodliness, don't let it continue. If you love them, you won't let it continue. You'll put them out the church. Why? That they may learn not to blaspheme. That word they learn is the discipline of a child. So Paul hasn't written them off. He's not saying they're apostate. He's not saying they're unbelievers. But nothing's shaking them into their right senses. And so I'm going to lift you out of the church. All of us, we acknowledge that this is what God's word says. You are not doing those things. You need to realize those things. And what is the hope for these, of being disciplined as children? That they might learn we have sinned. That then they might be welcomed back into the church. And the fellowship. We don't like discipline today. Most of the churches I've been in, if someone's living an ungodly life, unrepentant life, it's just mentioned but left. But the way of love in the household of God is to deal with it. Where there is ungodliness in the home, you need to deal with it. Otherwise, this gathering on a Sunday just becomes an event where people come and go. We just want to share. We don't want anyone interacting. And you just, nothing's really happening. And it's not just for teachers. If you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there's a man in the church in Corinth who is living in sexual immorality and the church is doing nothing about it and he's not stopping. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 4, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan, the same idea, put him out the church for the destruction of the flesh. And it's for his good, so that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. So whether someone is teaching false things or someone is living in sinfulness, the same thing needs to happen. That they might know we need to repent, we need to stop. And so you don't write them off, you're praying that they might be restored. And in the end time will tell.
if they are real children or imposters. Because those who belong to the Lord will repent. They will come back. Whereas those who keep saying no, 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 all the way to the grave or all the way to return of Christ will be proven not to have belonged to Jesus. And so this is where it gets personal now. What about the charge and us? Because there's some big things in there. As we consider ourselves as the household of God, what does this fight that Timothy and how does that need to be applied to us? We've got to be careful not to just jump to ourselves immediately. Because there's a church in Ephesus, Paul has picked out Timothy and given him a particular role in that church that he hasn't given to other people in the church. He's calling Timothy to fight in a way that he hasn't demanded or the others to fight in the church. Christ gave the gospel to Paul. And the message that Paul preaches is the one message for all times. And we see in verse 18, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy. You're the man responsible. Paul's not going to be around forever. When you get to 2 Timothy, Timothy's not going to be around forever either. And Timothy can't be in every church and every place. Paul charges Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Timothy now is to look in the church to find, are there faithful men to whom he can pass the baton on, so to speak, the responsibility that they would be entrusted with the gospel to be the ones who will climb out the trenches? Men who would continue to fight that good fight. Because the fight that Timothy in essentially isn't for his own faith, isn't about his own personal journey. The fight that Timothy is in for the good of the household. Timothy is there to act in love for the flock. You get the picture later on of the shepherd and the under-shepherd. Timothy is being called to be an under-shepherd, which means he has responsibility which the other sheep don't necessarily have. The other sheep aren't to be the ones leading the way out of the trenches. The one entrusted with the gospel is. The one who has been charged is. And so the charge fighting this good fight is for this good of the flock, of the household. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, we're going to find out more about how this continues and Essentially, in 1 Timothy, Paul is entrusting Timothy with this. When he gets to 2 Timothy, he's starting to tell Timothy, now you've got to pass this on, you've got to entrust this to others. Chapter 3, verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. An overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Timothy is the first overseer of the church in Ephesus. But he now then is to be charged, and Paul says this to Titus as well in all the churches, to make sure that he is putting 
Titus 1.5, this is why I left you in Crete, that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders or overseers in every town as I directed you. If we want to start thinking about what it is to have elders or deacons or what the role of an elder is or an overseer, we look to Timothy. Because Timothy is charged to be the overseer. But over time, he finds faithful men in the church to whom he can entrust that role. And it's a serious one again, James 3.1, not many of you should be teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. God appoints people in the church who have that responsibility. So that when the Hymenaeuses and Alexanders come, that they are the response, they are responsible to deal with it and make sure things are dealt with. If there is immorality in the church, they will say we need to deal with it. And these elders are appointed in the church in Ephesus. In our last cross-reference, Acts chapter 20. Paul's never going to see the church in Ephesus. He weeps with the elders from the church in Ephesus. But he says this in Acts 20, 28, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert. So the first step, surely, of what it is to be entrusted here is for Timothy now to find in the church those who would be entrusted to do the same thing. They are the overseers. And what are they charged to do? And this is where we've got to ask as a church, is this what we desire? Or do we want to be a church that just comes on a Sunday and disappears? Or a church that says, don't ask me any questions. Or a church that says, stay out of my life. Because that's often how churches can function. I quite like the idea of coming in the door, I've ticked my box, and no one actually asks me anything about how I'm going with the Lord. Because such men who are appointed to this role fight the good fight through the teaching of the word. They're responsible to make sure that the church stays stands firm in the faith. They're charged with recognising false teaching and making sure it is silenced. They're charged with making sure that sound doctrine is taught in the church unto godly love. They're charged with making sure that as a church, the unrepentant are disciplined. They're to charge us to make sure we are putting into practice the things of God, that we are biblical in our conduct, the charge is making sure they're not just saying what our itching ears want to hear. They're charged with making sure they tell us things that maybe we don't want to hear. To do those things and more is what it would mean to be faithful to the good fight. To do that is what would be truly loving to the household. 
I desire that if I was to go astray, that someone would pull me up. I desire that if I went astray, that no one in this church would give me any false assurance, but you would actually have the love to say, no, you need to be out of the church, that you might truly know that the way you're living is not with the Lord. Do we desire that sort of thing? And how is that war primarily fought through the teaching and preaching and instructing of the word? Not forgetting that discipline is also instruction. And so as we journey through 1 Timothy, 1 chapter 1 has sort of laid the foundations of what to expect, how to think, how things are going to be put into practice. But the question surely has to be at the end of chapter 1, do we want that? Do we want to accept the instruction and teaching of Paul? Do we want to pray to God that he might order us according to his word? That we might truly function as the household of God? That we would be a family? That we'd be putting each and everything into practice that the Lord would teach us? And that we don't become a church that just rolls week by week or a church that just does what we feel comfortable with? but we know our ship is on course. So that question is what we are seeing, where we headed, what we desire. I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. Lord, we thank you that your word shows us the course that we need to sail so as to not shipwreck our faith. Lord, we pray that you would humble our hearts, that we would not be stubborn mules when it comes to your word, but Lord, that we would delight in whatever your word said and even correction and even discipline. Lord, the fight we are in is a fight for our souls. And so, Father, we thank you for your love for the church in Ephesus how you raised up Timothy to fight that fight. Lord, we pray that that fight would continue amongst us. And Lord, that together as a household, we might sail into glory's harbour. In Jesus' name, amen.